We are in Luke chapter 11, beginning in verse 14. Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said, He casts out demon by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan also is divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul. And if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by whom do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when the stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he is trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. As I said, we're continuing to uh, talk about the kingdom this morning, and I want you to look at another text if you have your Bibles open to Luke. Turn to chapter 17 and verse 20. Here's another instance in which Jesus talks about the kingdom being in their midst. The Pharisees, when the kingdom of God, asked when the kingdom of God would come to Jesus, and he said, The kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. Nor will they say, Look, here it is, or there, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Jesus was speaking about himself. The kingdom came with Jesus. We talked about that the last time we were together. And there's a crossover period, as we've already indicated, even again this morning. This age and the age to come now cross over and run parallel together, intersected with one another. That's the age we live in now. Others have said it different ways. Some say the now and not yet of the kingdom has come. As I mentioned and quoted George Ladd this morning, he said, We have fulfillment without consummation. It's come, but it's not been fully consummated. It has come and it yet is to come. Many of the kingdom blessings can be experienced today. Many of them can. But many wait for the consummation. And sorting all of that out is incredibly important. First of all, to recognize the crossover. And then to sort out fulfillment and consummation. How do they work together? The prophets and the Pharisees missed it. They just didn't see it. The prophets, when they prophesied the coming of the Messiah, they missed two comings. They didn't get it. Yes, he was going to come, but part of it didn't didn't come through to them. They didn't see it all. They missed this age right now as the two intersect. It confused John the Baptist, remember? John the Baptist said to Jesus, he sent word to him when he was in prison, "Are, are you the one or are we to wait for another? to come and the disciples certainly were confused between Good Friday and Easter they lost all hope in those days because they didn't understand it if it was important for them it is incredibly important for us to get it right to understand it do we know everything and how all of it works together no but we certainly need to see it we need to understand as much as we can Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 5 says this we have tasted the powers of the age to come that's the fulfillment 
but not fully fulfilled, not fully consummated. We've tasted some things that aren't fully here yet. That's where we're at right now. That's where all of us live as Christians today. And I quoted someone last week that I want to requote this morning. Listen to this, this quote that talks about these two ages together. It says, We know that Christ already purchased our healing, but we still groan with sickness. We have already passed from death to life, but we still die. We have already have the sanctifying spirit as a down payment of our inheritance, but the war between the flesh and the spirit goes on every day. We have already been acquitted of all of our sin in Christ, but must go on every day praying, forgive us our sins as we forgive those who sin against us. We already have our citizenship in the kingdom, but for now we must still submit in measure to the rulers of this world. In a word, every blessing of the age to come is already ours in Christ. But God wills for us to come into our inheritance patiently. According to Acts 14.22, Paul taught, that all, taught all his new believers, through many tribulations we must enter the kingdom. It's God's way to make us fit for the kingdom. That's where I left you as we finished up last week. And the issue, and I think the key words in all of that, is we're to live patiently. There is a sense in which we must have patience in this intersection of the ages. And live patiently. I think another word that this particular writer didn't use, but I would use and add, and I think he would as well, we must live patiently and wisely. We must understand it, or we're just going to miss it. And many people have been confused of those two things. So what I want to do this morning is I want to take some time to talk about the implications of all that we laid the groundwork for last time we were together. You can get that online if you haven't heard it and get all of the background. I'm not going to go back over all of that. But I want to make some statements about the implications of the fact that it has been fulfilled and yet it's not been fully consummated. The first one is this implication, that Jesus brought the kingdom... And it was evidenced by the unique signs that he performed. Jesus brought the kingdom. The kingdom is in the midst of you. And it was evidenced by the unique signs that Jesus performed. Turn with me, if you're still in Luke, to Luke chapter 4. We're going to be back and forth at various passages. So if you have your Bibles, follow along. In Luke chapter 4, here in this text, in verse 14... As we were walking chronologically now through the life of Christ in these past weeks, we walked through this particular passage. It it follows the temptation of Christ. And it's interesting in verse 14 here of Luke chapter 4 that this is what it says. And Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. And a report about him went out throughout all the surrounding country. And he taught in their synagogues being glorified by all. But the key that I pointed out when we walk through that, it says, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee. One of the things as we began this series that I told you to to watch for as we walk through the Gospels is the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Three persons, one God. We believe in the Trinity. It is a cornerstone of Christendom, the Trinity. And I encourage you, as you read the scriptures, 
to read it with that view. When, when it's speaking about God, is it speaking about the Father? Is it speaking about the Son? Is it speaking about the Spirit? Which one? And I think the Gospels begin to come more alive to us when we read it that way. But here now, the obvious question that we talked about then is, and Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. What does that mean? Jesus is God. What's the power of the Spirit about? And one of the things that we talked about much was the whole idea of the Incarnation. And I hope it came alive to you then, and I hope it continues to stay alive to you. One of, one of the things that God has done for me in recent years is just opened up my understanding of the, of the Incarnation more fully. And, and what it meant for Jesus to come. Certainly I knew He came, and I preached about His coming. But it, 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 raised, it reached a higher level when I began to really see what I think Scripture teaches is that, that everything that Jesus did when He came as a man, fully man, yet fully God, but everything He did in the issue of resisting sin, He did, I believe, by the power of the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. He depended on the Spirit in all his resistance of sin. In other words, and we've said this other places, you can go back in the series and look, but in essence, what I don't believe happened is Jesus was fully God. But I don't think when he came up against resistance of sin, which he had to do perfectly, that there were times when he reached into his back pocket, if you will, and pulled out his divinity. In other words, used the power of his own divine nature to resist sin. I don't think that happened, partly because a passage of Scripture said he resisted, uh, he was tempted in every way, yet without sin. He was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. If that is true, it doesn't seem to me that he could have reached back in his pocket and pulled out his divinity because we can't do that. When you face sin, whether you're going to give in to it or resist it, You are called upon as a Christian to look to the Spirit of God, to look to God and the Holy Spirit in you to resist that. And it says he was tempted in every way as we are, yet without sin. I don't think he reached back and pulled out his divinity. I think there was a way in which none of us will fully comprehend this side of eternity, a way in which he could bracket his divinity and not call upon it to resist sin. In fact, I think that was one of the temptations he faced. I think that was part of the temptation of Jesus here in in Luke chapter 4. Was he going to call upon his own divine nature to resist sin, or was he truly going to be the second Adam? The first Adam failed. Was he going to be the second Adam, fully be, fully man, and resist as a man by the power of the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity? Those kinds of things, as I've begun to look at those and see those, have have given great encouragement to my soul. To see what it meant for the second person of the Trinity, for God himself to come and live fully as a man in regards to resisting sin. I am utterly convinced by Scripture that he did it by the power of the Spirit. Now, we've talked about that a lot probably to the point of some of you saying, move on now. But I need to go there because one of the things that I said to you as I began this series was 
it was a bit of an adventure for me to look at another level of this issue of the Holy Spirit in the life of Christ. Here it says, he went out into minister in Galilee in the power of the Spirit. A few years ago, I came into contact with this book, and I've recommended it highly to you. I hope you've picked it up. I think it's in the library. I think you can get it there. Uh, you need to get a copy of this if you want to, to read about the Trinity. This, this just, just exploded the issue of the Trinity in my life a number of years ago when I came in contact with it. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Relationship, Roles, and Relevance. Bruce Ware writes this. And in this book, he would agree with me, and that's where I began to see the incarnation in, in greater dimensions and his resistance of sin by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I agree with Bruce Ware there. But I told you I have one caveat as I recommend this book to you. And that caveat was that Bruce Ware would go on to say that even all of the miracles that Jesus performed, he did by the power of the Holy Spirit. And I said, part of my reason for stepping out into this series was, I want to I test that, because I'm not sure I go fully there. Resistance of sin? Yes. All the miracles he performed? Now, here's why it's important. Why do I come back to that? This is, let me read what Bruce Ware says, just so you, if you haven't heard it before. He says, many more scriptures show how Jesus lived his life, carried out his mission, performed his miracles, and in every way obeyed the Father all by the power of the Spirit. I can live with all of that sentence except performed his miracles. I think at times he did perform them by the power of the Spirit. But it seems to me there was an extra dimension of his divinity that broke through in those displays. Um, The reason I think that is because of the fact, as you look at Scripture, um, At times it says he performed many signs. It seems to me there's a sense in which it went beyond just his depending on the Spirit. Now, the reason that's important is because in this issue, follow me here, when we talk about this crossover age, it's been fulfilled and it's not consummated. I think if you buy... Where's theory that he did everything, including the miracles by the power of the Spirit. Then you open up yourself to this, which I think is dangerous. And, and I think also scripture affirms that there was a different dimension about those miracles. But this, this is the danger. If, if we are to resist sin the same way Jesus resisted it by the power of the Spirit, which I think is true you take the next step that we should be able to perform all of the miracles that Jesus performed if we just had enough faith to trust the Holy Spirit in us. In other words, the model that we should be able to do what Jesus did if he did it by the power of the Spirit and we're just not appropriating enough of the Spirit to do all the miracles he did. That's one of the dangers of that statement. And I think we can't. I think there was a dimension in which Jesus did things that we won't. We won't. Can we do some of them by the power of the Spirit? Yes. Can we probably do more sometimes than we think? Yes. But can we do everything exactly like he did? Because the kingdom had come and he's our model? I don't think so. And I think that's one of the dangers of of that entire statement being taken 
there. Now, let me put a biblical foundation. Just because I feel that way, just because that's a danger, does that mean it's not true? No. Why biblically do I land there? And what I want you to do is I want you to turn with me to another passage of Scripture, and that is... um, is the account where Jesus and Lazarus were together. If you turn to John chapter 11, look at this particular passage. John chapter 11 and verse 42. As you read, and and you can take time to read the account of Lazarus. We're not going to read it all here. We don't have time to read the entire context of that encounter when when Lazarus had died and Jesus came and, and the sisters were brokenhearted about it and Jesus raised him from the dead. It's interesting, you you... Read it now in the context of if, in fact, Jesus believed that everything he did was by the power of the Spirit. There was no extra dimension of that, and therefore we could do it. Jesus doesn't declare that. What he declares here in verse 25 of chapter 11 is, when he comes and Lazarus has died and the, and the, the, the sisters are brokenhearted, he says, I am the resurrection and the life. He, he doesn't in any way infer, I've performed something here, and this is the model, and I did it in the power of the Spirit, and so can you. He doesn't do that. There, there's an extra dimension. When Jesus performed miracles, there was a stamp on that. It was a, a kind of sign declaring His glory, manifesting His glory. And I think Jesus manifested His glory in the performance of miracles at a level in which we're not called and, and not expected to just follow his example if we have enough faith. So that's my disclaimer, and I hold to that. I, I think there's a sense in which at times the divinity of Christ broke through in his display of the things that were done in ways that manifested his glory that we don't, we won't. And I say that as a caution to you. I think Jesus is our example in resisting sin. I think we depend on the third person of the Trinity. We depend on the Spirit to give us the grace. As I've already said, what's my definition of sin? Whether we eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. We can live for the glory of God in every and any circumstance. God will give us the grace to to do it if we'll look to Him for it. The problem is stuff comes at us at such speed sometimes and just the way our lives are and the brokenness of this age, we don't always do it. We sin because we don't fully live to His glory. We don't always think of His glory. We don't even know what, is, what would most glorify Him sometimes the way it should. But to the level of carrying that then to say that we could perform everything that Jesus performed if we just had enough faith, I think that is very dangerous. I think we live in the crossover age we live in an age and Jesus did some things by the power of the Spirit. You can test that. You can look at other passages of Scripture. But it just seems to me um, the connection between the signs of Jesus and His glorious Sonship um, are connected in ways that show that it was more than just a man depending on the Holy Spirit to perform miracles. We can talk more of that if you have questions about that. But that's my first implication. Be careful. Be careful. The kingdom came in Christ, but just because it's come doesn't mean we will perform everything that Jesus performed if we only have enough faith, if we trust the Spirit enough. The second implication is this. Don't demand and insist on things 
now reserved for consummation. Some of the things have come, but not everything has come. It's, it's limited in scope and effect now. The kingdom's coming. Um, everyone, as I said a couple of weeks ago, everyone who Jesus healed died, ultimately. And the fact that he only raised a few f- from the dead, why? Why does he heal everyone he comes in contact? Why doesn't he just raise a bunch more people from the dead? One person commented that it's probably because dying isn't all that much... Uh, of a thrill and to die twice isn't much fun. Jesus didn't raise everybody from the dead then. The kingdom had come, but it is not fully consummated. So Jesus didn't didn't um, consummate it then. He brought it. God grants foretaste. This is a key word. A key word a number of years ago that came to me that helped me with this issue of of miracles, of things happening by the power of God in the midst of us because the kingdom has come, the word foretaste has become invaluable to me because I think in the coming of Christ, in His coming and bringing the kingdom and yet not consummating the kingdom, what He did is He he gives us foretastes of what ultimately is going to come. And some, some traditions need to hear it's only a foretaste because they try to bring too much of the kingdom in now, and they need to be reminded, it's just a foretaste. And other traditions need to be reminded that he did bring a foretaste. And that at times he does give us a foretaste of what fully is going to come. Take healing, for example. Some traditions believe everybody ought to be healed. It's too much of the kingdom. They need to hear it's only a foretaste. But other traditions need to hear it is a foretaste. And we need to pray for it. And at times God does it, but again, for the manifestation of his glory. So be careful. Don't bring too much of the kingdom in, but don't bring too little. I pray often when I pray for somebody in the issue of healing. I will use the word foretaste. You've heard me use it. God, might you grant a foretaste of what ultimately you're going to do perfectly. Because no matter whom I pray for, and no matter whom you pray for, and no matter who might be healed... By the power of God, and I believe God genuinely does that in this day and age. It is only a foretaste. Because unless Christ returns, unless he consummates his kingdom, they will die. They will get sick again and die. That's the age in which we live. That's where we have to be careful. The third implication is that not all who are swept into the power of the kingdom are true children of the kingdom. Not all that are swept into the power of the kingdom are true children of the kingdom. In other words, the kingdom has come. There are people who get swept into that kingdom's coming. There are people on this Sunday morning who are sitting in churches all around the United States. And some of those have been swept into the kingdom, into the influence of the kingdom, but are not children of that kingdom. The odds are there are some here today. You get swept into it, but you're ultimately not children of the kingdom. That's what those parables taught that I went through two weeks ago. The parables in Matthew 13. You can go back and read them, but the parable of the sower. There were three kinds of soil. They got swept into it, but they weren't children of the kingdom. That's what it's teaching. There was only one of those 
groups that were true children of the kingdom. The tares and the wheat. The wheat and the tares grow up together. The, the tares get swept into the power of the kingdom. And they appear that they're in the kingdom to some degree. And, and you dare not go in and rip them out because if you rip them out, you'll, you'll do damage because you'll rip out true children with non-children. And Jesus says, just wait till harvest. Wait. One day it will be made plain. But again, the inference is they get swept in. The, the parable of the nets, the net gets cast and they get swept into the kingdom and the power of the kingdom, but they're not part of the kingdom. They're not actually in the kingdom. That's one of the implications, I think, of it's, it's, it's come, but it's not been consummated. It's at the consummation that all that sorting out will happen. And uh, there are people who, who look like they're part of the kingdom, who smell like they're part of the kingdom to many degrees, but they're not part of the kingdom. And in the end, that will be shown. That has great implications in this age. You must understand that. It, it keeps us from delusion, disillusionment. I mean, there are people who profess Christ and strongly profess Christ and have fooled all of us and are not children of the kingdom. They don't pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. They don't, they don't truly have a desire for the, the day in which heaven and earth come together and the consummation of the kingdom. As one person wrote, he writes this, The power of the kingdom gathers many into its net that will be cast out in the end because they loved healing and not holiness. Power and not purity. Wonders and not the will of God. That's a bit sobering as we think about that. I don't believe the paradigm is you, you know, people come to life and they die and they come to life and they die and they come to life and they die. I think somebody who's come to life, who's began a good work and you will bring that work to completion. But we don't always know whom God is doing that to in our limited understanding. There are people who appear, who appear that they're part of the kingdom, but they are not part of the kingdom. They've been swept into the power of it. And one day that will all be sorted out. The fourth implication is be encouraged. The fourth implication that it's been fulfilled but not yet compensated, consummated is to, to, be, to be encouraged. Be encouraged. The king has come. The kingdom has arrived. Death and sin have been cared for by the sacrifice of Christ. He now sits at the right hand of the Father, our Savior, interceding for us. He reigns until all of His enemies will be put under His feet. His righteousness is ours by faith. The Spirit now dwells in us. If you have not the Spirit of God, the Scripture says, you don't belong to Christ. But if you do belong to Christ, you have the Spirit of God. The King's holiness is being produced in us. The King's victory over Satan is ours as we take up the sword of the Spirit, the Word of God. And the King's gifts for ministry and witness are ours. Be encouraged. Be encouraged. The kingdom has come. And then finally, this implication. 
Let any disappointment in this age, any disappointment in this age, stir greater desire within you for the consummation of it all to come. Do you do that? Are you seeing more and more the brokenness of this age? And when you see it, what do you do? What do you do when you see it? What do you do when it pricks you? It pricked all of you this week in one way or another. Some of you to greater degrees than other. But what do you do? What do you do when life disappoints you? When the brokenness of this age comes just pricking you and sometimes just dumps it all right on you? What do you think? I just got a raw deal. Is that what you think? Because I have a raw deal, I have a right to take my fist and shake it, whether I literally do it or do it in my heart at God. And you know that anytime you do that, whether you think you're doing it at God, you are. You're saying, God, you didn't take very good care of me today. Whenever we, we grumble under those circumstances, that's what we're saying ultimately to Him because He's sovereign and He didn't take very good care of me. Or, or are you learning? And it is a process of learning, isn't it? Or are you learning to look at the brokenness of this age and let it stir up longings in your heart? Lord, I long for the day that all of the brokenness will be gone. It will be gone. The kingdom will be fully established. Do you pray, Thy kingdom come, Thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven and have the understanding that that one day will literally be true and you long for that day. The most merciful thing God can do for you is to get you there. Is to get you there. Sometimes we don't think it's that. We don't think it's mercy. But it's mercy. It is what the Puritans, as I said in my Sunday school class this morning, called severe mercy sometimes. But I pray that's the kind of people we are. That more and more we're getting it right. More and more we see this crossover age and we understand when life disappoints us that we're not there yet. We're moving toward it, but we're not there yet. And it just reminds us that we're not there yet. And there's something yet to come. Maranatha, they prayed in New Testament times, Come, Lord Jesus. Do you pray that way? Do you think that way? It's merciful for God to help us to see it that way. We have tasted of the powers of the age to come. God has given us a foretaste of the power of the age to come. But only a foretaste for now. And our hope is in the gospel. That the gospel and the Christ will release us one day from this present age. It will not, it will not hold us. And we will spend forever one day in the age to come with our Lord and all of the brokenness will be gone. All of the pricking will be over and we'll be with Him forever. Let's be reminded of how that all happens this morning even as we sing this morning again, even as we're reminded again of why all that can be true. God is a gracious God and a merciful God. Bow your heads for a moment. Will you just quietly? Father, I pray you'll help us this morning to see it more clearly. None of us have perfectly wisdom. None of us know 
really exactly where that line is that 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 the kingdom has come and yet it's still coming uh, but oh lord help us to understand it's not fully yet here and and lord to have these foretastes cause a longing in our heart for the consummation in jesus name we pray Amen. Let's sing our benediction together. Will you stand? to you though as you go is may God help us to live patiently and wisely in this age you're dismissed